Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Well, good morning. Congratulations, you survived the cold and the rain. You made it to church. Give yourselves a round of applause for that. So great to see you guys today. We're so thankful for all of our Bridgepoint family watching online as well. I'm really excited for today because we're wrapping up this series that we've been in called Relationship Reset. And the whole idea behind this series is that at the beginning of the year, oftentimes we reset our goals for health and fitness or reset goals for finances or in our career. But I think this is also a great time for us to hit the reset button in our relationships and experience a fresh start as we head into 2021. And and so we've talked about topics like handling conflict or forgiveness or even developing the right kinds of relationships in our life. But we wanted to set one week aside where you guys control the content. So today is our Q&A Sunday, or as I like to call it, uh, Pastor on the Hot Seat Sunday. And so uh, you guys have been sending in questions for the last few weeks. There's also a phone number on the screen. You can text your questions in, and we'll be taking some of them live today. But whenever we do these Q&A Sundays, there's a few caveats that I like to put in place. Uh, The first one is this. I don't know everything. Okay, pick your jaw up off the floor. I know that's shocking. It's surprising that I wouldn't know everything. But because of that, I might have a different approach or different take on some of these issues than you do. And that's okay. We can disagree and still have relationship together, still serve together, still worship together. In fact, I think that that's what makes the Christian faith so different from the rest of the world. Because agreement and acceptance are two different things. You don't have to agree with somebody to accept them. You don't have to agree with somebody to maintain a relationship with them. So it's okay if we disagree on some things today. Uh, The second caveat that I will give you is that because it's Q&A and it's rapid fire, the good thing is it's a great sermon if you have ADHD, because you only listen to one topic for a few minutes and we're on to the next one. So it's like channel surfing sermons. Uh, But what that means is I don't have a lot of time to give an exhaustive answer to any one question. And that's not even my goal today. My goal is to give you a few thoughts, a few things to help you pointed in the right direction, because I believe with God and Google, there's nothing that you can't learn. And because of that, because you're texting in questions live, uh, we're not going to have scriptures up on the screen. We're going to reference a lot of scripture, but I'd encourage you to take notes today and to jot some things down as we're talking. And the third thing is just a reminder. This is a relationship series, and you have relationship questions, and some of those are PG-13. So we're not going to be graphic, but we do want to have open and honest conversations about issues that people are dealing with in all kinds of relationships, including marriage. So if you have young kids and you're not comfortable with that, we totally understand. We have our Bridge Kids Ministry located on the other side of the building. That's for kids birth through fifth grade, and we have a worship experience specifically tailored to them. Now, I think that uh, what would be most beneficial is probably not for you just to hear from me. And so as we kind of were preparing for this, I looked up some of the world's most foremost relationship experts, and, and we found one who is extremely smart. They have a lot of wisdom, and I think is really good looking. So put your hands together for my wife, Bethany Spear. And as you can imagine, she's super excited about this. <laughs> Not nervous at all. Um, 
One thing that I would just preface everything we're going to talk about today is Bethany and I aren't up here because we have a perfect marriage. Um, We've been together for 14 years. We've gone through a lot of ups and downs. But the reason that I wanted Bethany to share is because when I get up here and I share my perspective from a relationship, haven't you ever wondered what the other side, what that other perspective is? And so she'll be here today. She's got a lot of wisdom and great insight to give us. And so I'm excited to jump in. Are you ready? Ready or not, here we go. All right, question number one. How do you fight fair? That's a good question. And actually, I will say, during the course of the weeks leading up to this, probably the most common question we got was, how do you fight fair? Um, so do you, do you want to start this one? Yeah, I'll start an easier one. Um, I think first, before you get married, women, we just have to establish that we're always right. And then that pretty much solves everything, right? No, I'm just kidding. But I do think that you need to have these conversations uh, before you are in the heat of the moment of a fight, like kind of lay down um, in your relationship, what are our ground rules for when we fight? What's off limits? What's our goal here? That kind of thing. Um, I think it's important to have the goal um, that our goal should always be that we are for one another, that this isn't one person against the other. We've talked about it before that a lot of times fights come from unmet expectations, and so the hope would be that we have this conversation or this fight, as it ends up usually being, um, but that we come out better for it, and so that we we know when we go into a fight, we're not really against each other, that our goal would be the same, that we would it would bring us closer to one another. Um, I shared with the women on Thursday that I think that the enemy's number one tool is division. And so I think his goal for our fights with our spouse would be to cause division in our relationship and to pull us apart from each other. And so we wanna make sure that we are drawing close to the Lord in this and that we come out stronger for it. Um, One of our main rules that we established early on in our relationship is that you make the fight about the fight. Like, Whatever the topic is of the fight, we're staying on topic with that. And we're not bringing in baggage from 10, 15, 20 years ago to justify our point now. Like that has been resolved and that has been forgiven. And if we say that it's been forgiven, then we're not gonna bring it into a fight that's not really anything to do with what has happened in the past. Yeah, and I think this is good because this applies to every relationship, not just a marriage relationship. I'm the kind of person that when I'm arguing with somebody, um, I don't, I want to be right, okay? I want to win the argument. But the goal, like Bethany talked about, isn't to be right, but it's to bring resolution. So would you rather win the fight and lose the relationship, or would you rather concede some points to maintain that relationship? And I think, uh, you know, any close relationship you have, there's going to be fights, disagreements, whether you're in high school all the way up through, you know, your final days. Those relationships, there's going to be some tension there, and and you want to work towards resolution. The other thing that we made a commitment to each other for, um, Jesus says that if someone has sinned against you, you go and talk to them. And then he says, if they won't listen, then you can bring other people in to kind of mediate. But the first step is you have to approach them. And I think it's so easy sometimes when we get in an argument with somebody to go talk to other people, but not actually talk to that person. And when we're married, I think one of the most damaging things we can do is pick up the phone and start calling our friends or our family and complaining about our spouse. Because here's what will happen. If you get a fight with your spouse and you pick up the phone and you call your parents, well, you're going to hang up the 
the phone and you're going to resolve the conflict with your spouse, but your parents didn't resolve that conflict. And now you've driven a wedge into their relationship with other people. So that division becomes exponential. And so you have to make sure it doesn't mean that there aren't people that you can't vent to. I'm sure Bethany has friends that, that she vents to about me sometimes. It doesn't mean we don't have those close friends in our lives, but it does mean that when we're in the midst of a fight, that we want to keep it in the marriage and try to keep as much unity as possible. So is that helpful to you guys? All right, good. All right, great question. Question number two. What are specific things you do to make sure your kids know that your relationship with God comes first, your spouse comes second, and they come third? That's a really good question. And so it's asking, what do you do so that your kids know that your priorities are God, your spouse, and then your kids? And I would actually preface that by saying, before your kids can know, you've got to know. Like, you have to set those priorities in your life. Um, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he said, love God, then love others the same way that you love yourself. And so it's God first, others second, yourself last. And, and I think that we live in a culture oftentimes that puts our goals, ambitions, and dreams above God, above our family, above our spouse. I also think we live in a culture where this orders flip-flop just a little bit. You've got kids, and then you've got God, and then you've got your spouse. Or even worse yet, kids, spouse, and then God. So I think the first step is you got to get your priorities in order, and then you can communicate that to your kids. So um, Bethany, what are some things that you do that help our kids know that God has number one priority in your life? Yeah, I think a really big part of this is letting your kids see you spend time with God. Um, This was really big for me growing up. My parents involved us. Like I saw my mom, excuse me, reading her Bible and praying. Um, we did, you know, devotions together as a family before we went off to school. My dad always prayed with us before we got out of the car for school. Um, and so for them to see that it's a priority by us, you know, being out. I know when my oldest sometimes when he's coming down, getting his breakfast and ready for school, I'm still on the couch reading my Bible. And I want that to be something that they see me model. Um, this was always modeled for me as well. I, I spent the night with my grandmother often and I would wake up in her room and every morning I would wake up and I would see her in the corner in her little blue chair and she was always reading her Bible and praying. And so that had a huge impact on me. And so I knew what kind of impact that could have on my kids if I did the same, not always, you know, stayed in in a quiet place, and there are times for that, but also just um, modeling for our kids to see. Um, I think the other thing for us is it is a non-negotiable in our household that we are in church on Sunday. And this isn't just because, um, you know, we're pastor's family. Matt hasn't always been a pastor. It's always been a priority for us. And I feel like personally, a lot of parents, like in our culture right now, I feel like we've gotten a little bit weak in this. And I think that, A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't want to force this on them because I'm afraid that they are going to turn away from God. And and I would say to that, how can they turn away from God if you haven't turned them towards him in the first place? Um, And so bring in a fire this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think that is very important for our kids to know this is a priority and we're going to go to church whether you feel like it or not or you're tired or not. We're going to be there. Yeah, and I want to piggyback off that, too, is we don't let our kids decide whether or not they're going to go to school. We don't let our kids decide whether or not they're going to eat their vegetables. 
but we will let them make the most important decision they will ever make on their growth and development in their spiritual life. And, and they can't drive, they can't vote, they can't do all that stuff, but we're going to let them. I mean, we definitely want our kids to have a say in that, but at the end of the day, my responsibility as a parent is to help them grow spiritually. Um, so I know... The, um, you know, one thing that has really impacted me is I read a study a few years ago that said the number one indicator on if your children will become readers is whether or not they see their dad reading. And so as a dad, that, that impacted me because I'm not just thinking about reading. I'm thinking about reading scripture and diving into the word. And, and I heard this, this quote from a pastor that really impacted me. It says, dads, we have to stop calling our devotional time a quiet time. Because we need our kids to see us reading the Bible. So that means sometimes you're reading the Bible and you've got kids crawling on your back or fighting in the other room. But we want to set that example. So for the men in here, I would just challenge you, encourage you, set that example and make sure that God is the priority there. Another thing that we do is we do devotionals at bedtime. Um, and even now, our, our son who's a teenager, he reads a chapter of the Bible and then he comes in and he summarizes it. And, and those are things we just want to model for them that above everything else, God has number one priority. Now, the other part of this question says, okay, God has priority number one. How do you communicate to your kids that your spouse is in the second spot and not them um, in a way that's not demeaning? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think having intentional time, obviously, that you spend together. We're very intentional about having date nights. Um, and we not everybody's in this position, but we always make sure, like, once a year uh, we go away without kids and, you know, sometimes our kids are like, well, you're going to go have fun without us? I'm like, yeah, we are. Um, and so for them to know, like, we are prioritizing us, and that's important for us, and that they're not going to be involved in every single aspect of what we do together. Um, the other thing I think is just having a united front. Um, sometimes I think that some parents are a little more stricter than others, and so uh, it's the kids can kind of pick up on that and try to pit you, pit you against each other, right? And so they'll say, well, dad said this, but, or mom said this, can, you know, can I do this? And we'll say, no, I'm on your mom's team. Like, we're on the same team here. And whatever dad says, I'm, I'm with. And so even in that and your parenting, just that they know you're on the same team and their voice matters more than, than yours. We jokingly tell our kids, no, it's we're the parents' team and you're the kids' team. We're against you right now. Um, I, I want to echo, too, even just date nights. Like, I think every family can do date nights, even if it's put the kids to bed and do an at-home date night. But seriously, if you don't have $50 to, to pay a babysitter for a date night, then you need to, like, re-examine your whole financial priorities, right? Like, you need to join that financial peace group because $50, that's an investment in your marriage. And I think one of the number one reasons that marriages fall apart is because they forget that they like each other and they forget to spend time together. And, you know, what we still do things like we still play putt-putt. I'm the current reigning putt-putt champion in our family. Um, we'll go out to eat. We'll, we'll do a lot of different fun things because we just want to spend time together. Um, and, and our kids know that. And I think everybody can make that um, investment into their own marriage. Um, I don't think there was anything else I was going to say about that. Do you? All right. Um, so then the, the last part was with kids. How do you communicate to your kids that they are a priority? Because it sounds like we're bashing on kids, and I don't mean to, but I think sometimes the pendulum has swung so far this way that any kind of recalibration feels like you're pushing against your kids. Our kids are a huge priority for us. Um, so how do we let them know that they're a priority? Yeah, I mean, just like we have, you know, dedicated time for us, we have dedicated time for our family and for our kids. 
Um, and so we, you know, we'll have family nights and we try to make those special so that they know like we've, you know, we've taken time to plan and spend time together as a family. Um, also having one-on-one time with our kids is really important. And I think this is really huge because all of our kids are very different. Um, they all have different hearts and different love languages, just like we do. And so we've tried to learn what those love languages are and spend one-on-one time with our kids so they see that. Um, one of my kids, he's just, he's all about your undivided attention. Like he wants you all the way. And even when, you know, when I go and say, hey, let's let's have mommy and, and Micah time, he'll say, um, are you gonna be on your phone? <laughs> which, you know, we're on our phone a lot. And so for me to say, no, I'm not. I'm gonna leave my phone in this room while we have our, and that speaks volumes to him that I'm, I'm stepping away from my priorities to spend time with him. Um, and family vacations, you know, we love to take family vacations, so we do have that time where our kids know um, whether, I think the thing that we have to realize as parents is our kids may not be fully appreciative now. I remember being a kid and not, fully understanding the things, like, and appreciating the things that our kids did, but now I, I understand the magnitude of it. Um, I think so often we're like, do you even know how much this costs? I said that probably 8,000 times at Disney World. <laughs> um, and, they, and they might not, but one day that, that investment is gonna mean a lot to them, even if it doesn't now. Yeah, and I know Bethany's real sentimental, and I like my routine to be the same, so we end up with a lot of traditions in our household. And one tradition that we have is we always eat dinner as a family around the dinner table. That doesn't mean we cook all the time, but even if we get DoorDash, we're going to set it up at the table, and we ask the same question every day. What was your favorite part of the day? Now, we used to ask, what was your high and what was your low? But our kids just focused on the lows and the negatives all the time. So we said, we're not going to focus on that. Just what was your favorite part of the day? And each one of them takes a turn. They get to talk. And then we ask these probing questions. And so they now, every night, they're going to have a chance to get mom and dad's ear. Um, the other thing that we made a decision a long time ago is, like, our kids love the bus. Like, I don't know how you were like, I hated the bus growing up, but they love the bus. But despite that, um, I drive the kids to school every day because I I want to get the last word in their life before they head into school. I want to be the, the last one to encourage them or to challenge them. And because they know they have that set 20, 25 minutes with dad every morning, some of the conversations, even just on the way to school, have been so fruitful and so good. Um, and, and we've been really intentional to try to create these spaces, these family nights, you know, just so that we can have that time together as a family. So I think that's a great question. I'm sure you guys have some ideas, too. This might be a good thing to talk about, even in your life. I think something we struggle with sometimes is, you know, our priorities, it's, it's even even putting our career above those things. And so I think assess your priorities. Sit down together with your spouse. Talk through how are we putting God first, each other second, and our kids third. A great question. All right, next question. How do you promote a healthy sex life in your marriage? I told you it's PG-13. <laughs> um, yummy to oh, yeah. take this one? All right. Start. All right. How about we do this? How about all I don't. I want y'all to know how much time I spend in prayer, praying that my parents wouldn't show up this morning. So thank you, Jesus, for answering. <laughs> but my maybe prayers. they're watching online. So that's you guys. Off. We love you. Turn We're it thankful. Off right now. Um, how about this? How about I'll answer first, and I'll talk to uh, men, then I'll dress women, and then I'll let you do the same. Sound good? Um, all right, men. Where's my men at this morning? There we go. We got one. One's excited. All right. Um, here's what I would say to men that um, to, to put it, you know, kind of bluntly, um, sex starts outside the bedroom. 
and here's what I mean. There, there's a, a scripture. Um, when Paul talks in Corinthians, he says that, that wives, your bodies belong to your husband. And that's where most men stop reading. And they want to use that verse. But the second half of that verse, it says, but husbands, your bodies belong to your wife. And so really our goal ought to be to serve our wife so well. Like we want to bless her so much that she is excited to bless us in the ways that, that we want to be blessed. And so if, if you come home from work, and the first thing you do is sit down on the couch, pull out your phone or head to your office or take some personal time and you come down and eat dinner and then you disappear for the rest of the night. Like if she's had to cook dinner and clean and bathe the kids and get them in bed, like don't be surprised when she really is tired and really does have a headache. Like, like we have to serve our wives in ways that, that really make them feel loved. And I think a lot of times we get confused on how to show love to people. Um, are you guys familiar with the five love languages? Um, so there's different ways that people give and receive love. And, and as guys, I think that sometimes, you know, there's certain ways we want to receive love, and we assume that that's how our wife wants to be loved. But let's say that I love receiving gifts. Well, I could give gifts to my wife all the time, but if her love language is words of affirmation, that might not be making the same connection. Whereas I could just say, babe, you're so beautiful, and I'm so proud of you, and that might mean more than getting a diamond necklace. Um, and so we have to know that sometimes serving our wives means loving them in ways that, that may not be the way we receive love. So I would encourage you guys, challenge you guys, like try to outserve your spouse. Like try to serve them so well that, that they're just so excited to spend time with you. Um, and then for um, women, kind of what I would say, um, really two things. As guys, we never want you to know when we're hurt. And so when we feel rejection, a lot of times we try to mask that and act like it's not a big deal. Um, but just know like that that can really hurt a guy like right in his heart. And I'm not saying that that you shouldn't say no. I'm just saying like let us down easy. <laughs> like overly communicate with us. Like do not drop hints to us. Don't don't you know like sometimes Bethany like if she wants a gift for Christmas, like she knows she just has to write it down and say buy me this thing for Christmas because I don't pick up on subtle hints like communication is key. Um, the other thing I would encourage is never ever use sex as a weapon um, because sex is the ultimate expression of love, the ultimate expression of giving yourself over to somebody else. And when we weaponize it, it no longer becomes something that's life-giving, but it becomes manipulative and something that God designed to be really good all of a sudden becomes bad. Um, I use this illustration when I was a student pastor talking to students about um, sex in the proper context, which is marriage. Um, a fire in a fireplace place is awesome. It brings a lot of warmth, a lot of light. But if you take that same fire and you put it in the middle of your wood floors in your living room, all of a sudden it's going to burn the place to the ground. And in the same way, sex in the proper context is beautiful. It gives life. But you put it in the wrong context and it can be destructive. And by the way, the wrong context does not just mean outside of marriage. It can be as it's used as a manipulative tool or a reward or anything else. Like we have to be willing to treat that as saying, hey, I love you so much. I'm giving you every part of myself. Your turn. I think you did a great job. I think we can move <laughs> to the next one. Uh, this is the only question I put, I wrote notes down because I was a little bit nervous. Um, but just to reiterate what he already said, I do think that our goal in marriage is to serve one another. And so it can't be all about our own needs. Um, I do think that it's sad. You hear a lot of times in, in circles of women where they're like, oh, like I finally 
finally, you know, broke down and had sex with my husband, you know, like it's something that they dread when I think that God created it to be this beautiful thing for men and women to uh, bring us together and to have that intimate moment. But I do think that it has to come from a place of serving um, for both of us. So for women, I would say that we can't let our emotions drive us. Um, I think women, we are very emotionally driven people. And so when we feel like doing something, we do it. And when we don't feel like doing something, we don't do it. Um, And so the problem is that generally men have a little bit more of that need than we do. Um, And when we feel like it, they always feel like it. Um, But it might not be the same vice versa. And so we can't just not serve a need that our husband has because we don't feel like it. Um, I got really convicted about this a few years ago. It was funny. I was um, talking to a friend of mine, and we had been holding each other accountable about going to the gym. And she was like, you know, I wake up some mornings and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go tackle the gym. And then I wake up other mornings and I just, I don't wanna go. And I was like, no, I get that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good some mornings. I'm like, let's go to the gym, let's work out. And then there are mornings I don't wanna go, but you know, I, I force myself to go. I decide to go because I know that it, it serves my body well. I know that it's good for my body. Um, and so then later that night, like, women, we know. Like, like when he's, you're kinda like, oh, I know, I know what he wants tonight, right? And I'm already thinking, I'm so tired, I don't feel like it. And it was like that same conversation came back to my mind and I was like, if I am willing to serve my own body when I don't feel like it, because I know that it's good for it, shouldn't I be willing to serve my husband in this way? Um, And so just knowing that you can't always go off of your emotion and when you don't feel like it, Um, And, but also understanding that I think for women, because we are so emotionally driven, um, in our mind, like we have to feel like fireworks and butterflies all the time. And it doesn't, it's not always like, like it doesn't always have to be that way. Um, When we went to this newlywed conference, we've used this uh, saying ever since then. They referred to something as shoebox sex. And they were like, you know, you have like that pair of shoes like in your closet and it's like your go-to comfy pair. Like it's not the one that's like the most fashionable, um, but it's comfy and it's your go-to and, and that's what you do, you know? Sometimes they're, that's a thing and, and that's okay. Um, it doesn't always have to be fireworks and butterflies. And so I think the big thing to understand for women is that it, it can be emotion and action. Like they need to be together. But the key thing to understand as women is we can't always under we can't always um, control our emotions, right? Like we're all over the place. Let's be real. Um, but we can control our actions. And what I have found is a lot of times in the time when you need to lead with action, um, the emotion will follow. Um, and so I think that's important. All right, men. Now I'm gonna sweat bullets. Um, I think understanding uh, women's needs, I mean, we already talked about serving each other. Um, I think men, like when you're loving your wife well, you're gonna be understanding of those times when we are tired. And there are seasons. Like I remember when my kids were really, really little and they're hanging on me all day and they won't nap and I'm running all over the place and I'm tired. Just, you know, being understanding of that. And I think when you love your wife well, you are automatically understanding of that. Um, but the other thing that I would say, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it, um, is that, you know, they talk about how women are like crock pots and men are like microwaves. Um, just so you know, like 
when you treat us like crock pots instead of like a microwave, we're more excited to go to the gym, if you know what I'm saying. So I would say, I would say, there you go, um, communicating needs. Communicating your needs, I think, is so important. Um, and I think for women, sometimes we shy away from that. And maybe from men, you're not as always as apt to listen to those needs. But I think when we communicate those needs well and we're meeting needs well, then it is it ends up being more of something that we both are excited about and look forward to than something that we just do as a choice. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think that is one way that we serve each other. Um, Bethany hates when I use this illustration. Um, but uh, let's think about sex like a pool, okay? And there are certain things that lead up to Don't that moment. Don't think of sex like a pool. There are certain things that lead up to that moment that might be, let's say, like getting on a slide to get into the pool. And a lot of guys like to cannonball in. A lot of girls like to slide down the slide. Listen, part of, part of serving your wife is, is getting on the slide. Part of serving your wife is taking time. And I think that um, as his guys, we have to remember that. I think guys can, guys can be very selfish in this area. We can tend to think about ourselves. But, but the question is always, how do you serve your spouse? Sex is a culmination of everything else that's happening in your marriage. So if you have bad communication in other parts of your marriage, it's going to be here. If you're not serving your spouse in other areas, you're not going to be serving your spouse there. Ephesians chapter 5, um, Paul says, wives submit to your husbands. But then he says, husbands love your wives. And that word love there is agape. It means unconditional love. You're putting somebody else's needs before yourself. And so wives are serving their husbands, but husbands are serving their wives. And it's almost like this race to see who can elevate the other person more, who can serve them more. And if that's happening in every other area of your marriage, I promise you it's going to help in that area as well. You did it, babe. I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right. Next question. All right, how do you mend a broken relationship? This is a phenomenal question because I'm sure that all of us have experienced broken relationships in every aspect of our life, whether it's with coworkers, friends, other people. Uh, fantastic question. Why don't you take the lead on this one? Yeah. Um, yeah, like he said, we can, we can deal with this in a lot of different areas. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how the relationship was, was broken or what kind of took place there. Um, that kind of depends on what it's going to look like. But I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to take full responsibility for our part. Like, if the relationship was broken because of us, we have to learn to take full responsibility. We say all the time in our, in our house to our kids, no BCDing, no blaming, complaining, or defending. And so you don't go into it and say, well, I know I did this, but this is why. No, you take full responsibility for it and just say, I understand that I was in the wrong here, and I understand that I did that. Um, and then realizing that it, it takes time to rebuild trust, um, depending on, again, what the situation was. Um, it takes time to rebuild trust with that person that you're not going to hurt them again or that, that's not going to be a, a repeat action of yours. So even asking them, you know, how can I rebuild trust with you? What's it going to take to rebuild trust with you? Um, but the other thing that I think that um, God has used so much in my life I've had some relationships and some friendships in my life that have never been fully mended. And when I, when I say that, I mean like there's been no real reconciliation. Like there's no clean, closed chapter to it. And that's really hard for me. Um, I'm all about reconciliation and, and making relationships right. 
And so I can remember being in this situation and pouring my heart out and taking responsibility for my part in it and saying, you know, what can we do to fix this friendship? How can we fix this? And then the other party just being non-responsive. And they, they, they didn't wanna have a conversation with me. They didn't want them in the relationship. And I struggled with this for so long. And God gave me the verse that um, so long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And, and so for me, that was the peace that I needed to understand that I can only do what I can do. And sometimes you can do everything right and that other party is just not gonna wanna enter into being willing to mend that relationship. Um, but just knowing that I did everything that I could. I, I took full responsibility. I wanted to rebuild that trust, um, but it doesn't always lead to reconciliation. Yeah, the theme for this series. I feel like I've probably learned more in this series than anybody else has, but the theme we've talked about this weekend and week out is what is the only thing in this world you can control? It's you. You can't control the other person. You can't control their response whether you did something that broke the relationship or whether they did, you can only be responsible for yourself. And I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Like, I mean, that's like a daily reminder. Like everything comes from God and God is so good that when we rejected him, when we ran from him, when we did not give him priority in our life, you know what he did? He went to the cross. And he died for our sin. He covered all that to bring about reconciliation, which is a fancy word that means to bring us back together. See, when we ran from God, he ran to us. The more that we push him away, the more he tries to draw near to us. He wants that relationship there. But the second half of that verse says, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God made a way for us to have a relationship with him, and then he gave us that same ministry. So we're supposed to go out and love people and help them to have a relationship with God, and we're supposed to go out and help people mend their relationships with other people. And that can be so hard because there are certainly times in my life where I've messed up and there's been a relationship that's fallen apart. I'm reminded of um, Jesus. He says that if you go into the temple to worship and you remember somebody else has something against you, it's not even that, that you have something against somebody else, that you're mad at somebody, but is there somebody who's holding bitterness over you? Jesus says, leave your offering there. Don't go any further. Go and try to make things right before you come and worship Jesus. And I think maybe there's some of us here today and there's some relationships in our life that God is telling us, man, I'm so thankful that you're here and you're ready to worship, but there's some people that you need to do business with. There's some people you need to ask forgiveness from. And it doesn't mean that those relationships are always going to be perfect. I had probably the best friendship I ever had. Um, it fell apart, and, and honestly, I don't know why. Um, and there was a lot of years spent sending emails and Facebook messages and trying to meet up and um, never having full closure, but knowing that I have done, like Bethany said, I have done everything that I can do. I cannot control anybody else. But as far as it depended on me, I pursued peace. And I know we're both believers, so I know one day we're going to be with Jesus and that relationship will be mended. There will be true reconciliation. But in this broken world, sometimes that may not be possible, but we just do whatever we can to help other people find Jesus and other people mend broken relationships. So I hope that was helpful for you today. I give it, didn't Bethany do an amazing job? What I wanna do is I wanna take a moment here 
because I think there's a special opportunity we have. Some of us walked in and our priorities are all out of whack. Or maybe we're still having bitterness towards somebody else because we haven't experienced that reconciliation with God. And so I think there's some of us here today, we need to take a moment to think about our priorities. And so wherever you're at all across this room, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're watching online, feel free to pray with us as well. But if there's some priorities that need to change in you, maybe you've let your career be first. Maybe it's your kids that have been sitting at number one on the list. Maybe it's even your spouse. Listen, if God isn't first in your life, he's not in your life. He's a jealous God. He wants all of your heart. And so today, maybe some of us, we had a moment where God was number one, but today we need to come back to that moment. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you've experienced so much brokenness in your relationships, but what you really need is to mend your relationship with God. And that's possible because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so if today you're ready to put God number one, you're ready to come back home to him, or maybe just to give your life to him for the very first time, wherever you're at, say this simple prayer, just in your mind between you and God. God, I admit that I'm broken. And I believe that your death and resurrection was enough to save me and to mend our relationship. And so today I'm committing my life to you. Today I'm coming home. For a lot of other people, I think that there's probably some relationships that need to be mended. There needs to be some reconciliation. Maybe you spent years holding bitterness and hurt. Today, today's the day to let that go. And if that's you, I want to pray for you right now. God, we're so thankful for the relationships you bring in our life. But I'm praying right now that bitterness and resentment, that all that would be just pulled out of our hearts. And today we could just trust you that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to make the first move. You'd help us to swallow our pride and be humble enough to apologize for things we need to apologize for and then to trust you with the results. God, we know we can't control anybody else, but today we just want to be obedient and follow you. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, You can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.